our God and firm foundation, our rock, the only solid ground. The nations rise and fall. Kingdoms once strong, now shaken. We trust forever in your name. The name of Jesus. trust the name of Jesus. You are the only King forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever, forevermore. You are victorious. You are the only King forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever forevermore you are victorious unmatched in all your wisdom in love in justice you will reign and every knee will bow we bring our expectations our hope is anchored in your name of Jesus. Whoa, we trust the name of Jesus. Oh, you are the only King forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever, forevermore. You are victorious. You are the only King forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only King forever, forevermore. You are victorious. We lift our banner high. We lift the name of Jesus from age to age you reign your kingdom has no end we lift our banner high we lift the name of Jesus from age to age you reign your kingdom has no end we lift our banner high we lift the name Jesus, from age to age you reign. Your kingdom has no end. We lift our banner high. We lift the name of Jesus. From age to age you reign. Your kingdom has no end. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious.
Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you this week uh, as we continue to roll in our um, uh, social distancing, quarantine, stay-at-home season thanks to the coronavirus. And uh, I know uh, for many of you um, that uh, this is still difficult and new and different, but uh, we are glad to be able to connect with each other and to spend time in God's word together uh, and worship uh, this uh, great king uh, that, we, that we worship, the only king forever, as you just heard Tyler sing about, and uh, hopefully you were able to worship along with him. Let's pray this morning before we get started. Gracious God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for uh, this opportunity to gather, uh, albeit again in a different situation. Uh, we are thankful for the opportunity that we are uh, connected by the Holy Spirit. We are connected under the banner of Jesus. We lift high uh, that banner uh, this morning. I thank you for each person who is tuning in to listen to this sermon and be a part of this, uh, uh, this, this moment to, to just give you glory. And so as we now move into your word, Lord, as we, as we look at your word today and we continue in this uh, series, Into the Unknown, would you just speak to us as we look at the life of Nicodemus today and, and his, his, uh, the account of his interactions with Jesus throughout Scripture. And, and uh, there's just a lot of meat there, I think. I uh, thank you, Lord, that we can see um, struggle and flawedness in Scripture uh, in the sense that these people, these folks that we sometimes uh, put on a high pedestal, are just like us. They wrestle with things and they try to figure things out and, and we can take encouragement from that today. And so as we do that, Lord, would you allow your Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to encourage us, to convict us, to heal us, to stretch us. Father, would you take these broken, flawed words and have them land exactly as they need to land on those who are receiving them. We give you all the glory and honor for this and we ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, well, <clears throat> we hope that you had a good Easter uh, being last week, and, and we heard from many of you that you did, and you did some great things to celebrate, whether it be uh, sort of surprise egg hunts for your neighbors, or uh, ways to worship together in different, in different settings and things like that. That was really great to hear, and we want to encourage you to continue to tell those stories. Um, for those of you who attend Mount Pleasant regularly, you've heard us talk about wanting to be able to share those stories. And so whether you attend here regularly or if you're listening to this uh, elsewhere, we want to encourage you uh, to uh, make, make a little creativity in your life. And so uh, take some time, and we would love to receive from you uh, about a 15-second video of how the Lord is working in this season in your life, whether it's a blessing you're seeing from Him, something you're thankful for, maybe it's uh, the... Um, the accounting of how you were able to serve some folks or do some things uh, in this season. We'd love to get those videos from you. And so you can send them to us uh, via uh, email or via Facebook if necessary. If you can, try to send the actual uh, video file and not just the video itself. It would really help us out. We're going to compile all those things into um, a, a, a video, a bigger video that tells the story of, of how the Lord worked and, and what he did during this season, and so we'd love to have you be a part of that. We want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, I, like you, spent Easter a little differently than I normally would. Amy and I have been watching uh, some different uh, services from churches around uh, the, the, really the globe, I guess you could say, 
uh, on Sunday morning and, and worshiping alongside the, the global church. And um, then last week, we also took the opportunity, um, and maybe you did as well, to watch the uh, streaming or the, or the televised um, uh, Jesus from Sight and Sound. It was so good. If you've never been to Sight and Sound down in Lancaster, uh, they always put on a tremendous show. It's amazing to think about what they do behind the scenes or how they handle things or even just producing what they produce. It's incredible the amount of detail and, and choreography and all these things. And so uh, while I will say that watching it on TV wasn't quite the same as seeing it live and, and in person, it was still really, really good. And so when this is all said and done and you have opportunity to get back to some normalcy. If you've never had the opportunity to go to Sight and Sound, I really encourage you to check it out. But, but the Jesus uh, production was tremendous. It was super good. Took you through a lot of the different stories and the accounts of the Gospels. And then, of course, through uh, the Easter story, uh, the, the crucifixion, resurrection as well. And I, it reminded me of how interesting it is when we deal with Scripture, and specifically when we deal with, like, big events in Scripture that involve multiple people and a lot of different storylines, if you will, a lot of different narratives. Um, who you connect with. Uh, in the past, looking at the crucifixion and resurrection story, um, I, and I think we've preached through this in the last year or so, uh, I connected with Peter in the sense that, and maybe you know what I'm talking about, the sense of this, this passionate desire to serve and and you know, be Jesus's, be, be so accepted and, and serve Jesus. And yet he's also so impulsive and, and he's the denier and he's the one that makes mistakes. And maybe there's been occasion where, you know, you, you've, you've identified with Judas and, and the betrayal in that sense and the heartache of Mary or, or whatever the case is. There's a number of folks within, you know, of course we want to connect with Jesus in scripture. We always want to come to the center of Jesus, but we can't deny that we see our humanity in these other folks. And as I was watching this production of Jesus, uh, the Sight and Sound production, the Lord really connected me this year with the person of Nicodemus. And um, we, we've preached on the life of Nicodemus before. If you attend Mount Pleasant, a number of years ago, we did a sermon series through a book called Not a Fan. And uh, we, we looked at the story of Nicodemus and his life and his interactions with Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to go back over that this morning. And uh, we're going to be in three different places in the book of John. And so if you have your Bible there at home or your tablet or, or your phone or whatever you use to get into Scripture, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 3 to start. But we're going to kind of bounce through the book of John this morning as we look at Nicodemus' life. And, and we've been doing this series, Into the Unknown. And so far as we've, we've looked at uh, Paul and Silas, and, and they're, uh, you know, they're heading into the unknown of the situation they found themselves in in Acts. And of course, last week for Easter, uh, the ladies approaching the, the empty tomb and, and how they handled their business as they headed into the unknown. It occurred to me that when it comes to the life of Nicodemus, we are seeing something play out in real time that, that most of us, most of you probably listening to this, have already gone through. Some of you this morning maybe are going through currently. And uh, my hope would be that, that if you're not quite there yet, maybe this is what starts you down the road towards it. And that is this, right? 
The first two weeks of the series, we looked at people who were coming into the unknown, standing on a foundation of Jesus. Like we are followers of Jesus. Paul and Silas head into the unknown, but they trust in their faith to sing and to pray in the midnight of the jail cell. The women from last week, you know, don't know what they're walking into, what's ahead of them as they approach the tomb, but they want to be obedient and serve their friend Jesus. And so um, they're already connected with Jesus. What we're going to see in Nicodemus today is kind of this real-time walking through somebody moving from what they think they know. Uh, if, if I could be so bold as to, uh, if you are, were born of a certain age that is uh, my age, you may remember a show on MTV called Diary. And the tag for that show was, you think you know, but you have no idea. And these celebrities would tell you their, the behind-the-scenes uh, stories of what's going on. You think you know, but you have no idea. That really describes what we're seeing in Nicodemus this morning, who starts as a, as a Pharisee, a teacher of the law that we're going to see here in a minute as we look at John chapter 3. And, and he knows. He knows a lot of stuff. He's a smart guy, an educated guy. But really, he has no idea. And we're going to watch as that knowledge kind of transitions from this sort of false known, this sort of known of self, this sort of like head knowledge, is confronted with the truth of Jesus, the tension that results from that, and then what, what ends up being a life-changing situation. And so, again, we're in John chapter 3 this morning, and we're just going to look at the first couple verses here. We read this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. In verse 9 of John chapter 3, Nicodemus says, how can this be? Now, if you continue to read John chapter 3 there, you know that Jesus says some very powerful things. In fact, John 3.16 is probably one of the most well-known verses of Scripture in all the Bible. But this exchange with Nicodemus, in fact, the rest of the way, we don't hear anything else from Nicodemus in John chapter 3, is interesting because it shows to me a man who is wrestling and struggling with, with what he does know. Right. So far, as I said, we've been talking about people who head into the unknown knowing who Jesus is, knowing that they are following Jesus, that they can put their trust in Jesus. What we're seeing here, as verse 1 tells us, is this man, Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, it tells us he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, comes to Jesus. He would be a very knowledgeable man, a very educated man. As, as, a, as a, a Pharisee, as a ruling uh, member of the council, he would have chunks of the Old Testament memorized. He would he would know the law inside and out. He would know the prophets. He would know all these things. He would be held in very high esteem. He would be uh, very proper and very um, adherent to the law that uh, the, Jew, the Jewish people followed from the Old Testament. 
And we're early enough in Jesus's ministry here that, that there isn't really an organized opposition to him that we're going to see as the gospel progresses here in John. And as we know, eventually um, becomes so uh, key and influential in, in the whole uh, re- crucifixion resurrection story that we, we looked at last week for, with Easter. Um, and yet, even though that's the case, it's very interesting to me that scripture tells us in John chapter 3, this Pharisee named Nicodemus, this member of the ruling council, verse 2, comes to Jesus at night. Comes to Jesus at night. Uh, That's telling. That's telling. Kind of this covert operation, if you will, under the cover of darkness. Uh, Nicodemus, I think, this shows, is really wrestling with what he knows is wrestling with what he knows. He knows all this stuff. He knows the law. He knows the scripture. He knows the prophets. He knows these different things that, that the, the traditions and the, and the, and the rules and, the, and the, the pageantry and the ceremony. He knows all these things. And yet here he is kind of sneaking around at night. You can just kind of picture him tiptoeing along, hiding behind bushes and stuff like that on his way to meet with Jesus. He knows all this stuff, but yet he is acknowledging, as we read here in Scripture, who Jesus is. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. I know all this, but I also know there's something going on here. We are seeing this very moment when what is known, what, what Nicodemus knows to be, be his truth, to be the thing that he has clung to and been taught and been raised up in and, and has been in many ways kind of beaten into him as, as reality, as truth, is confronted with the truth of Jesus. Maybe, as I said, you remember being there. Maybe this morning as you hear that, you currently are there. Maybe as you hear that, you are standing on the doorstep of that. That what you and I knew at one point in our lives, when we're confronted and lay that alongside the truth of Jesus, hopefully we begin to see and question some of the things that we claim to have known. Jesus tells Nicodemus that you must be born again. And, and Nicodemus, for all his knowledge and all his education and all his uh, you know, uh, superiority or however you want to word that, misses it. Jesus is speaking of the spiritual. Nicodemus is stuck on the physical. And it almost sounds absurd to hear this man who, who clearly is, is very knowledgeable hear Jesus say, you must be born again, and ask the question, so you're telling me that I'm going to get back into my mother's womb and she's going to birth me again as a grown man? That's, that, that's impossible. Well, of course we know that. Jesus responds, you know, um, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. And it's so interesting because this isn't a new concept. In fact, if you look back in Ezekiel in chapter 36, Jesus is kind of echoing some words that that certainly Nicodemus would have been aware of given uh, that they're from the prophet in the Old Testament. In, In Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 25, it says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impropriety, impurities, and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Church, as we hear Jesus telling him that you must be born again of the water and of the spirit, and then we, we look at what the, that phrasing is from Ezekiel 36, uh, man, it's so cool to hear that, that there's going to be this like cleansing, this removing of one thing, uh, our idols and our, our, our misinformation, if you will, and it's going to be replaced with newness, with a fresh heart, with a new life. And it's no mistake that Ezekiel 36, that those couple of verses we just read, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 28, they happen right before the, the next big thing in Ezekiel 37 is a story I'm sure you're aware of, and it's the Valley of the Dry Bones, this vision of, of restoration coming to these dead and dry places. That as death is washed away, life is returned. As, as, as the need for this washing away of what was is then replaced with something new. Nicodemus is confronted with the truth of Jesus. You must be born again. And he misses it. What was must go so that what's new may come. And he's wrestling. He's wrestling. In fact, we don't hear any more uh, other than that last question Nicodemus asks here in chapter 3 of verse 9. How can this be? How can this be? You can almost hear a frustration or a, uh, you know, hey, I, I, I know stuff. I understand stuff. Why can't I get this? How can this be? Jesus goes on speaking. And we don't hear any more from Nicodemus right there. And, and we go on with a couple things through the book of John. And if you want to bump to your, to your right out of John chapter 3 and head with me to John chapter 7, that's the next time we pick up Nicodemus, right? Jesus has kind of been teaching and doing miracles. Uh, early in chapter 7, things are kind of swirling around him. There's, there's this chaos kind of going on as uh, people are starting to debate and, and, and kind of uh, have issue with whether or not he is the Christ, the Messiah, uh, it gets kind of crazy there for a little while, and uh, as, as this is unfolding, the Pharisees are growing more and more uncomfortable with Jesus. They're, they're starting to definitely create that opposition that, that we know is coming and those types of things. And pick up with me in John chapter 7, picking up in verse 45. After uh, some things took place in the crowd, the temple guards were out there, and they were, they were tasked with bringing Jesus back to the Pharisees, but, but they kind of they kind of have a hiccup in that, and that's where we pick up here, John seven forty five. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees and asked them, who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Why didn't you bring Jesus? The, the guards respond, no one ever spoke the way this man does. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees reported. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. So in other words, the Pharisees are, are kind of you know, saying, well, of course the, 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 the uneducated you know, peasants, of course they're buying into them, uh, buying into Jesus because they don't know. They don't know what we know. And then verse 50, Nicodemus, we, we see our man Nicodemus again chimes in. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing, to find, uh, hearing him to find out what he is doing? Uh, so Nicodemus is essentially calling these guys out who claim to live by the law, claim to, um, you know, claim to, 
to, to follow the book and do everything that the law says, he's essentially saying to them, hey, 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 part of that is us not falsely accusing or rushing to judgment on people, and yet here you guys are wanting to come and grab this guy because he kind of is possibly upsetting the table here a little bit. He's possibly uh, something that, that is going to impact your way of living and things like that. I can't imagine, I can't imagine if you put yourself in Nicodemus's shoes in that moment, um, how terrifying that had to be. And it shows to me a man who is wrestling. You know, we talked about he was wrestling with what, what he knew as it's confronted with, G, with the truth of Jesus. Now we find in chapter 7 this guy, Nicodemus, who is wrestling with the tension of his past and his present, his present or future, right? Jesus has been teaching and doing these miracles and the Pharisees are getting upset. This group that, that Nicodemus is a part of and has has tried to kind of like, I mean, remember, he went to Jesus under the cover of darkness. He's doing this in hiding. And, and now he kind of speaks up for Jesus. And he's immediately shot down looking at the, the, just the last couple of verses of chapter 7 there, verse 52. Uh, you know, D- Nicodemus is saying, doesn't our law condemn? Uh, we shouldn't condemn anyone without first hearing them out. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And so they kind of use this lame argument as to about where Jesus is from. There's no way he could be the Christ. He could no, not be the Messiah just based on where he's from. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of lame the way they use that because it, it's not really true. Uh, Jonah was a prophet who came from that area and things. So, so Nicodemus is kind of shut down. But um, this passage shows that Nicodemus is, again, wrestling with this tension. This tension of what he knew to be truth once that was confronted with Jesus, now he's kind of in this weird spot where he wants to stand up for Jesus, almost like maybe that first time that you ever sort of took a stand for your faith in front of a group of folks that, that were your peers or your coworkers or, or people at school or whatever the case may be, and, and you had that lump in your throat and you're sweating like crazy, and oh, I don't know, I, I know I should say something, I know I need to stand up here, but oh, I don't know, what if I get in trouble, what if I say the wrong thing? You can, just, you can just think of Nicodemus, this all racing through his mind as he stands there and, and, and kind of speaks up on Jesus' behalf. What he knew in the past uh, is continuing to process through what he is now seeing in Jesus. As you and I begin to see our life changed by Christ, this, this tension, there will be friction between who we were and who we are becoming. Paul talks about that uh, in his writings about the tension between the flesh and the spirit. As you and I attempt to, to, to crucify, to put to death the old self, the, the flesh self, the sinful self, as we do that, there will be friction. That, that self will, will, will scrape and claw and fight to survive. And it's moments like this when we see that friction in the life of Nicodemus that are so encouraging to me. Man, church, would you maybe take the moment to stand strong in your faith? Would you maybe look at Nicodemus and say, man, I've been there too. I've been in the gray where it's like I'm trying to work out my faith. I'm trying to stand on my faith. But also I'm around these peers. I'm trying to preserve old relationships. I'm trying to, to, to maintain Maybe, maybe this is like on a big scale. We're talking with like your spiritual life and your faith. 
Maybe for some of you, this season we're in right now with this whole uh, complete interruption of our normal life and, and our, our normal routine, you know, all of a sudden, like, you're faced with a, reality, with a reality that is different than what you know. Your routine, the blissful ignorance maybe you and I went about our days with uh, is kind of gone. Some of you aren't working. Some of you are having to become uh, teachers to your kids and, and be around them a whole lot. And you're like, these kids are terrible. They're the worst on the planet. What is wrong? You know, maybe for some of you, um, it, it's just this fear that can grip us as we watch uh you know, numbers climb of victims and, and we hear terrible stories, but man, could I say to you, church, if you take a beat and take a breath, you will see how God is working in your, in your friction, in the tension that you are feeling. Give that tension over to the Lord. Give, give that opportunity over to the Lord. When you see the opportunity, I got to think there's this moment where Nicodemus says, hey guys, should we really be doing this? And he almost can't believe he said it. Like, I don't know if you've ever been there where you say something out loud and you can't even believe you said it. I, I remember in my interview for, for uh, moving from the associate pastor to the senior pastor here at Mount Pleasant, somebody asked me what my vision for Mount Pleasant was. And, and I've told you this story before. You've heard the story. I, I just blurted out, well, Mount Pleasant's going to be a megachurch. And, and I immediately in my head went, what? Like, that's not, that, that's not, my vision. I, I don't have a vision for a colossal place and, and, and things like that. And, and somebody, you could tell like the, the people around the table sort of stiffened up a little bit. What do you mean by that? And I, I 100% believe it was the Holy Spirit that dropped that phrase into my mouth because it was the Holy Spirit that dropped the next phrase that came after that. And that was this, that, that we serve a mega God. We serve a tremendous God. And so every church should be a mega church. We've, we've created a man-made definition of that being a large building, large attendance, uh, you know, a number of different things that you may or may not uh, agree with or be okay with, and that's, that's not really beside the point, or that's really beside the point at this, at this time. But what I meant was that if we believe that our God does mega big things and tremendous things, then we as the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church, should expect to see those mega things, regardless if you're a church of 40, a church of 400, or a church of 4,000. And so when Nicodemus kind of drops this out of his mouth, I got to think there's this moment of, holy cow, what did I just do, right? And again, we kind of just move on. We don't really know what takes place with Nicodemus. In fact, we don't, we don't really hear Nicodemus speak anymore in Scripture until we land in John chapter 19 to wrap our time up this morning. And even here, we don't hear G, uh, Nicodemus speak. But what we do read about his actions tells us a lot about Nicodemus. And so if, if you're in John 7, just bump over to John 19, pick up in verse 38. And this, this takes us right to where we were just last week. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. Kind of a similar deal that Nicodemus was in. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Verse 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. 
So again, you and I don't hear Nicodemus say anything in this passage of scripture, but boy, do we hear him speak in his actions. Listen to this, church. Nicodemus wrestled with what he knew. He wrestled with the tension, the tension between that, that past and that present. And again, maybe you remember being there. I think it's good for us who have been believers in Jesus for a while, who have grown in, in our spiritual maturity to, to think back to those days because it's a reminder of where we were in that, that tension that some of our brothers and sisters are feeling this morning. Right now, as I speak to you, there are those of you who are wrestling with that tension of who I was and who I'm on my way to being. And there are those of you who are wrestling with starting that journey. And as we see Nicodemus' actions here in, in this, in this uh, closing uh, verses of John 19, we see a man who now, church, wrestles not with what was or this tension of what was coming, but a man who acknowledges Jesus Christ as king. Check this out, right? Uh, there's some details in, in what we read here that are super important. In verse 39, it tells us uh, that Nicodemus shows up and, and he brought with him a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds of it. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. I need you to understand 75 pounds is a lot. It, 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 it shows an excessive amount of love and care for the deceased. Any amount, like these, these things would be normally used in a burial, but that amount is a massive amount. In fact, excessive amounts, like the amount of 75 pounds, would usually only be reserved for royal burials. Verse 41 goes on to tell us some other things. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden there was a new tomb. The tomb was in a garden, a garden tomb. The, the Old Testament references the idea that the kings of Judah are being buried in garden tombs. Even King David himself is buried in a garden tomb. Again, 75 pounds of, of, of spices and these things reserved for royal burials. Garden tombs reserved for royalty. Verse 41 references that this is a new tomb. It's never been occupied. There's a couple interesting things to that. That means Jesus isn't going to be tainted by any other death. He's not going to be laid upon uh, some other body or anything like that. There's no question of when that tomb is open and is empty, who came out of it? If there was multiple bodies in there, who, who was it really Jesus or was it somebody else? There's no question because it's Jesus who is only in that tomb. And once again, we see this statement, new tombs, new tombs church, they're reserved for kings, for royalty. Nicodemus has clearly had a life change. He went from standing on the knowledge of self, standing on knowledge of the law and of his mind. He is confronted with the truth of Jesus. And as we see his life change, he steps into the unknown as a follower of Christ. Tyler is going to come and play for you as we close today this new song, Graves into Gardens. And it's a great song and it's a beautiful song. And it speaks to the power and, and, and ability of the Lord to take the things that were, were dead and dry and dying and turn them into a place of beauty and lushness and life. And I just want you to hear this morning, church, that if you find yourself as a Nicodemus right now, as we found him in John chapter 3, and man, you are, you are this one who is wandering, and you're, you're basing everything you know on what you think you know, on that knowledge you have in your mind, and, and, and you're wrestling. You're wrestling with what that means, and you're laying that next to the truth of Jesus. Or maybe you're down the road a little further where you're starting to like 
step out in some areas of faith and take a stand for what you are starting to believe and grow in that and and you're sort of like uh, straightening your shoulders and, and, and sort of speaking up against things or speaking up for Jesus or maybe you're this morning in this place where you acknowledge Jesus as king. Man, I just want you to hear this morning, church, that our God turns graves into gardens. He brings life. He brings life. He brings life to the dead places, and he will do it in your life. He did it in the life of Nicodemus. I don't know what, you know, I, I just, I think about what did, what did the moment that Nicodemus and Joseph leave that tomb look like for him? What did he walk back to? Uh, you know, we, we don't hear anything else in Scripture uh, in the Gospel of John, certainly, about Nicodemus. And, and I just wonder. He had put everything that he knew on the chopping block. But now he steps into the unknown, just like you and I are walking into the unknown. But now he walks into the unknown as a believer in Christ as king. Do you, this morning, church, believe in Christ as king? Let me pray for you. Good and gracious God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we can see in Scripture people who are wrestling with things like us. Uh, Father, I acknowledge that I've been Nicodemus. I grew up in the church. I, I, I knew the Sunday school answers for a long time, and, and I rested on that, and I sort of I sat on that, and that was good enough. I had the head knowledge. But I thank you, Lord, that at some point the Holy Spirit moved, and, and the truth of Jesus impacted me in a way that said, man, i got to figure this out. I got to figure this out, that, that, that I, I shouldn't have just been satisfied with, with, with head knowledge, that you wanted to bring beauty and you wanted to bring life. And, and so as, as I wrestled in that tension, and I'll be honest, Lord, there's probably still days I wrestle in that tension, but I can wrestle in that tension fully acknowledging this morning that you are Christ the King, that you are royalty, And so we thank you, Father, that as we continue in this season of unknown, we can trust in you. And I want to pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who are on that that journey and in that process of moving from from chapter 3 Nicodemus to chapter 7 Nicodemus. And I want to pray for them as they head towards chapter 19 Nicodemus. That as they take what what they know, as they lay it against the truth of Jesus as they are emboldened by the truth of Jesus, as they are convicted and changed by the truth of Jesus, that we will continue to lift high the name of Jesus as King. You are the only King forever. And we thank you, Lord, that you bring beauty from ashes, that you move us from death to life, that you change graves into gardens this morning. God bless you, church. Amen. Search the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together, and every desire. Now satisfied here in your love. 
I've seen them all And you still call me friend Because the God of the mountain Is the God of the valley There's not a place Your mercy and grace Won't find me